Well, it happened watching TV the other night, a couple of weeks ago. I was watching the news uh, about the horrible and tragic conflict in Israel and Palestine, learning more about civilian casualties, including Palestinian children. And then they were interviewing a Jewish man, talking about his brother still being held hostage uh, by, by Hamas. And then the news cut to a commercial, and there was the sound of jingle bells in the background, a beautifully decorated Christmas tree, a family smiling and laughing uh, as they, uh, they shared presents uh, and then went to the table and had a meal together. I don't even remember what the commercial was for. I just remember in that moment feeling the dissonance, the tension, the tension between um, the, the weariness of all that is wrong and not as it should be, and the joy of life in community and the love that nevertheless seems to find a way through. You know, the Christmas season is like that often, if we're really honest with ourselves. There can be this this strange dissonance, almost like an unresolved musical chord between our, our sadness and our joy, between the pain and the hope, between busyness and peace, fear and love. Christmas is often an emotionally charged time where we feel many things deeply, sometimes all at once. And like me in front of the TV that evening, we can feel the dissonance in the midst of our our joy-filled parties and carols and festivities. We are a weary world. We're a weary people. I'm sure you have your reasons for weariness. And yet, this season is and must be a time of great joy as we celebrate the wonder of of God coming to live with us in the person of Jesus Christ, divine love being incarnate, the, the greatest gift the world has ever known. We need joy even when we are weary. The world needs our joy even when we are weary. And so this Advent, we're going to be exploring the question, How does a weary world rejoice? In other words, how how do we hold on to both our weariness and our joy of this season together before God, with God, and with each other? So we'll be looking toward the Gospel of of Luke and how the story of Jesus' birth is woven into the, the parallel story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist. Both stories have the full range of human emotion held right together. Fear, isolation, disbelief, trust, connection, joy. As we move through this Advent series, the hope is that uh, we create honest space for the weariness of our world while celebrating God's closeness with great, great joy. So today we begin to answer the question, how does a weary world rejoice with this response? We acknowledge our weariness. Let us pray. 
God, pour out your spirit on us gathered here. Open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from uh, the book of the Psalms, Psalm 80. Listen for God's word. Shepherd of Israel, listen, you the one who leads Joseph as if he were a sheep, you who are enthroned upon the winged heavenly creatures, show yourself before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Wake up your power, come to save us, restore us, God, make your face shine so that we can be saved. Lord God of heavenly forces, how long will you fume against your people's prayer? You've fed them bread made of tears, you've given them tears to drink three times over. You've put us at odds with our neighbors. Our enemies make fun of us. Restore us, God of heavenly forces. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. Let your hand be with the one on your right side, with the one whom you secured as your own. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us so that we can call on your name. Restore us, Lord God of heavenly forces. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. Then from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 23. Many people have already applied themselves to the task of compiling an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used what the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to us. Now, after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, I have also decided to write a carefully ordered account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I want you to have confidence in the soundness of the instruction you have received. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they both were very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time, but because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. 
When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. All they wanted was a child, a son to continue the family name and legacy, another generation in their family of priests to have the sacred responsibility of mediating between God and God's people in that holy place of God's temple. You can imagine, right, the story they had dreamed for their lives. Maybe, maybe our son will be a priest. And yet they are not able to have a child. And now they're old. I can imagine the long weariness has settled in. The weariness that comes from bearing the, the weight of cultural disgrace back then of not being able to have a child. The weariness that comes from years of prayers seeming unanswered. Hoping, waiting for a child. Luke tells us that they were, they were righteous and that they were deeply committed to their faith and yet have not been blessed with a child. In those days, a sign of God's disfavor. Surely they must have, have felt the weight of hopes and dreams of a child unrealized. And Zechariah has spent his entire life obediently in the most sacred place of all of Israel, only to be weary by the prospect of not being able to share in the sacredness of being a father. God, I've done this my whole life for you, and my wife can't even bear a child. What did I do wrong? You know that battle we do in our minds where we think, God doesn't really work that way, right? But we're still wondering because it's still, it seems unfair. Elizabeth and Zechariah are weary. You can imagine the story they've resigned themselves to in the midst of their weariness. I guess we're just, we'll just be old together. Do we deserve any joy? And then Zechariah gets the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer incense in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Priests served on a regular rotation for the regular temple liturgy, but at some point in their lives... Their name would be drawn via lottery to serve in the Holy of Holies and to burn incense. And it's Zechariah's turn. He would get to go into the space where God's glorious presence dwelt and came to rest with God's people. A place of divine encounter. And yet I wonder if he expected anything or if the weariness dulled his expectations. Even faithful people might grow dull in their expectations because of weariness. Maybe Zechariah finds it easier to get the incense out of its storage place than his own pain or weariness from where he's kept it tucked away for all these years. Better to live disappointed than to experience disappointment after all. As he's offering the incense, an angel of the Lord appears. Zechariah is startled. He's overcome with fear. The angel tells him not to be afraid. His prayers have been heard. Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son. And then the angel goes into oddly specific detail about this boy to be named John. 
that he will be a joy and delight. Many people will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the Lord's eyes. He will be set apart. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll bring many Israelites back to God. He'll be equipped with the power of Elijah. He'll make ready a people for the Lord. This is amazing news, right? I mean, this is pure joy and pure delight. Surely, Zechariah would jump up and down, fall to his knees and praise, right? Instead, Zechariah asks for certainty. His response is a very measured one of weary self-protection. I'm sure there's weariness in his voice. How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. In other words, I'm, I'm having trouble accepting this is true. This is an amazing promise of good news. It's got crazy specific details about including that the child will be a joy and delight, and yet Zechariah cannot fully receive it in joy, cannot express it in joy. And he's cast into silence for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Seems rather harsh, right? And yet, maybe, maybe it's an outward reflection of what's going on inside. Maybe the, the long weariness has dulled, has, has muted his ability to experience joy. Maybe Zechariah's weariness has gone unexpressed for so long, and now so too will his joy. The truth is, weariness and joy can both be in that holy place with Zechariah and held tenderly in the presence of God. They can both be in his heart and in his home. They can both be in our hearts and lives too, held tenderly in the presence of God. Weariness and joy. The trouble is, like Zechariah, we often lived with unexpressed weariness. We'd rather hold it inside than acknowledge it before God or others. We'd rather pretend it's, it's not there or, or distract ourselves away from it. It's not polite. It's not proper. We'd rather just grin and bear it. You can ask my wife, on days when I am wearied from work or, or anxious or tired, I too quickly turn to my phone and just start mindlessly scrolling, browsing the internet, scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. I'm deceived into thinking I can just mask it or distract myself from it. And tragically, you know what I've noticed? Is that I also seem to be masking an ability to experience joy too. It's like everything is dulled. I could be Zechariah in the temple about to experience what should be good news of great joy, and then all of a sudden, it's like a mute. The problem is, it's like a kink in a garden hose. When we don't acknowledge our weariness with God and others because we're trying to stop the flow of what's hard or painful, we also stop the flow of joy. We do all kinds of, of things to stop or just get away from the weariness instead of full-on acknowledging it. And when we stop up our weariness, we also stop up our joy. 
we become like Zechariah. We might also dull our expectation of encountering God's presence in the midst of our weariness. Like, God, I don't want to set myself up for you being here in the midst of this pain or grief or heaviness only to be met with disappointing silence. Better to live disappointed than to experience disappointment, right? This is what Brene Brown calls foreboding joy. Foreboding joy. It's a posture or attitude we take where we don't allow ourselves to get too excited, too happy, too hopeful because we're afraid of the letdown that might come. We do not give ourselves permission to hold weariness in one hand and joy in the other. No, when we're weary, we tend to seek clarity from God. We, we prefer guarantees rather than a grace-filled presence. We want to hedge our bets, not not get our hopes, our happiness up too much, not invite joy into the space because, well, we don't want to be let down. In a chapter of her book, Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown references an interview she did with a, a man later in his life. And this man talked about how he had always believed that expecting the worst was the best way to live. He described how this outlook made him feel protected and prepared for bad things if they were to happen. And then his wife tragically died in a car accident and his perspective totally changed. You see, expecting the worst did not actually prepare or protect him for that loss at all. And even worse, even worse than that, he grieved that so many of his memories with his wife were ones when he was not fully present and fully enjoying the moment. My commitment to her is to fully enjoy every moment now, he tearfully concluded the interview. Unacknowledged weariness will do that to us. We think we're protecting ourselves when we're really just dulling our awareness of God and of joy that comes with God's presence. If you're experiencing foreboding joy, it may mean you have unacknowledged weariness. If you're experiencing foreboding joy, it may mean you have unacknowledged weariness. How does a weary world rejoice? It starts by acknowledging the weariness. But fortunately, we have the language to do this and the permission to do this, right? To come into God's presence as we are with with honesty and just to be open. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there's such a rich tradition in the scripture of doing just that, of of acknowledging our weariness before God, opening ourselves up to have the space for things like joy. And the Psalms are full of prayers of where people name their weariness before God, asking, how long, God, how long do I have to sit with this? Psalm 80, which we read this morning, asks, How long, O God, restore us, make your face shine upon us so that we might be saved. And it's like God's spirit unkinks the hose. And once the weariness gets acknowledged, joy can start to flow too. Even if it's mixed with grief or pain. I remember a season of weariness 
after Lauren and I experienced two miscarriages back to back. And I've shared different aspects about this difficult season in sermons before. But looking back, one of the, the hardest and most important decisions we made when we found out that we were expecting again was to give ourselves permission to be excited, to allow ourselves to experience joy. And it was hard because we felt like we hadn't done anything to deserve the pain, and so we didn't deserve the joy either. But we didn't keep our weariness bottled up, and we didn't keep our joy bottled up either. We decided that the people who graciously sat with us in our weariness and pain could be graciously with us in our joy too. And so it really was like living in a house where both joy and pain, excitement and weariness simply existed together through the power of God's presence. A weary world, yet rejoicing. So I wonder, what is making you weary this morning? November 26, 2023, at the start of the season of Advent. Is it pressure to perform? Is it disappointment? Is it pain or grief or sickness? Is it conflict in a relationship? Is it the pace of work or kids' activities? Is it financial stress? Is it all the injustices out there, all the wrong that we witness? Whatever you do, don't let the weariness harden your joy. Don't mute it to the point where you mute your ability to experience and share joy too. Don't hide the weariness away like your Christmas presents tucked in that secret space. Let's acknowledge the weariness. Let's unkink the hose. Let's take it to God in prayer honestly, asking God how long and praying for restoration Finding a voice for our weariness makes it a lot easier to find a voice for our joy, too. So let's step into God's presence with great expectations that God will show up and joy might just find a way in, too.